teach. Help us just all to listen to hear what you have to say and just go before us in all ways and all things. We just trust you, Lord, in your name. Amen. All righty. Appreciate uh, Pastor Rich filling in for me last week and Pastor Renee to do the announcements. Uh, I was in Indianapolis for a pastor's meeting for a few days. Went uh, real well and uh, appreciate them filling in. So I got a chance to listen to Richard's message there online. I thought he did a great job and uh, excited to get back in here to the book of Isaiah. Now, I love this chapter. And I know you may be thinking, don't you say that every week? But some weeks I lie. This chapter I really do like. It, it's about salvation. How can you not like a chapter on salvation? How can you not like a chapter that talks about us being saved and with the Lord? There we go. And got to love the points that come out of this. Because here's the thing, and, and I'll give away one of the key points of the message here because there's no reason to hide it, is the whole point of chapter 51 is to try to say focus on the eternal perspective of things. And how many times have you heard us say this out here? Eternal perspective. And the whole scheme of eternity, does that matter? Okay, you've sinned. God forgives you. For all of eternity, that sin's not going to be held over you. You have the grace of God. Maybe you've been wronged. Now, how long are you going to hold a grudge? You're going to hold a grudge for all of eternity? No, because on all of eternity, all things are made new. Maybe you've been hurt physically, spiritually, emotionally. Fill in the blank. The whole point is that there's going to come a time and a place where we're going to stand up there in heaven for all of eternity. And as we stand up there in heaven for all of eternity, all these things are going to become, as this great song says, strangely dim. It just doesn't matter. Well, this chapter here tonight is trying to remind us of that. And the first word you see in my New King James here is verse 1 of Isaiah 51 is listen. Listen to me. What is he trying to say? Listen to this point. The word salvation is going to be mentioned three times in this short chapter. The word comfort is mentioned three times in this short chapter. The whole point is you're focusing on the comfort and salvation of Jesus Christ. That is what gets you through. Whatever you're facing in life right now, whatever difficulty you have, it all pales in comparison to your salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what it does. Now, I'm willing to bet... In your house, if you're married, you probably have somewhere posted a picture of your wedding. Or if you have grandkids, you have their pictures around. If you have kids, you have their pictures around. Or maybe if you don't have kids or grandkids, you have pictures maybe reminding you of a vacation. Or maybe in your office at work, you have something that has nothing to do with work. So that way, when you want to get distracted, you can look up there and just kind of go, ah. See, this is the way salvation is supposed to be. We're supposed to look at stuff. And it's supposed to remind us of that. I was thinking about that, and I brought a few things. If you've ever been in my office, a couple of things here real quick. This is one of the first things I have. This is a picture of Hurricane Rita. Now, I didn't go through Hurricane Rita, so I kind of enjoyed it. But the point is, it's a beautiful picture of just power and majesty of God. I've always loved that. And I, you know, sometimes when I'm looking at life, and I'm looking at stuff, and I think, boy, this is a really tough situation. You look at the power of a hurricane... You stop and think, okay, Lord, if you got this in the palm of your hand, you got me in the palm of your hand. Many of you know when I went to college, I didn't go to college to be a pastor. I went for finance, so I love money. Don't take that the wrong way. I love the history of money, so I have something here that is a $19.29 and a silver certificate, so that way I can always focus on money. And obviously, you need pictures. I got the kids, except we don't have Layden. I don't know why. He's four months old. I should have a picture of him, but here's Elias, Judy, and Kenan. And you, you know what? You may remember, um, you actually want to hear something funny. 
I don't think my mom's in here tonight. Um, I think she's helping in the back. Go ask my mom after church to see a baby picture of me. She can't find one. I was the third kid. I was not wanted. I was the accident. There does not exist a baby picture of me. As far as I know, I don't even know if I was born. So that's the truth. And you may be thinking, aren't you missing somebody in particular? And, of course, I'm not. I got the pictures of the kids. The most important person in the world, I have a Greg Maddox autographed baseball. And who needs Dawn? So I have Greg Maddox. I have money, and I have kids. So those are the things I look at to distract me. And I tell you, sometimes it's tough, but you know, it's just something you've got to stop and say, okay, it's easy to let the things of this world get to you. It doesn't matter. The whole point of this lesson tonight is I'm going to look towards my salvation to get me through the difficult times. So as we go through this, listen to me, verse 1. God is trying to say, listen. You who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn, and the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Now, listen, it says. Who's supposed to listen? Those that follow, those that seek, and those that look to the rock. Now, hopefully that's you tonight. I hope that's you. I hope that you follow after righteousness. I hope that your goal is to become more like Christ in everything you do and say. Next one. You who seek the Lord. I hope you seek the Lord deeper every day. What a sad life it is if we just have this fringe relationship with God where we just kind of do something maybe on a Wednesday or on a Sunday or every now and then. The whole point is we're supposed to seek him. That word actually follow can also be translated pursue. A lot of effort put into this. And lastly, look. Now, when the going gets tough, who do you look to? When you're going through a tough day, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Okay, I really need to stop and pray about this. I hope so. But a lot of our first response is, boy, I really need to call this person and talk to her. i got to talk to him. Or I need to drop an email. Or I need to do this. Or I need to do that. Boy, guys, if we are following, seeking, and looking to the Lord, he's going to dig us out of that hole, that pit. Because that salvation, that thought of salvation is what gets us through. Because look at verse 2. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Just as the Jewish nation was called, you have been called. Now, that's a fascinating concept to me. Fascinating. And that's one I still sometimes try to grasp a little bit. I remember when I first got saved, I was doing a Bible study with a young married couple. And uh, she just w- would just get in tears when she would stop and you think, she goes, I was chosen. And it just blew her mind. I was chosen. God wanted me. Out of six billion people in the world, out of everything that he could have, he says, I want you. That's pretty neat. You know, and if you stop and you think about it, you know, Jesus even went one step further. You don't have to turn there. John 15, 16, if you're taking notes, just write down that passage. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, isn't that pretty cool? Now, you may think, and we're going to get into some deep theology here tonight, but we're only going to scratch the surface. You may think, okay, I chose Christ. Well, yes, in your free will, you chose to have a relationship with Christ, but you know what? Jesus also chose you. And what a beautiful thing that is, is to know the God of the universe wants you. And we were doing a study through Genesis a long time ago when we had a Friday night study. I had a guy come up to me and he said, why did God choose the Jews? You know, that's a tough question to answer. And I can't remember who first said this little phrase, but how odd of God to choose the Jews. And actually Jesus, I shouldn't say Jesus, God the Father comes out in the Old Testament and says, I did not choose you because you were mighty because I chose you because you were weak. 
God basically picked the smallest, weakest nation in the world at that time and said, I'm going to focus on you. I mean, he could have picked the big wigs. He could have picked Egypt. But then it wouldn't look too glorious. He took this tiny little nation of Israel and turned it into a mighty nation. And we're only glimpsing what Israel is going to become. Just wait till Jesus returns and he's the king over Israel. It's going to be an amazing thing. But the thing is, he chose them. He chose us. And so therefore, we follow, we seek, we look. We put effort into this. And what's the result of this? Verse 3, for the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. You will be comforted. Right now, your life may be a desert. It may be a wasteland. Your job may be falling apart. Your marriage may be falling apart. Your kids may be falling apart. Your house may be falling apart. But the whole point of Isaiah 51 is to say what? Don't focus on what's happening here on this earth. You look unto eternity. You look unto salvation. That's what he's trying to tell you. Because this is a wasteland sometimes, but it will be made like Eden, it says. It'll be made, it's a desert, but it'll be made like a garden. And that's a beautiful thing to look forward to. Verse 4, listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation. For law will proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as the light of the people. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth. Now I want to stop there because this is the first time salvation is mentioned. Look here at verse 5. My salvation has gone forth. Jump ahead, if you will, to uh, the end of verse 6. My salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Stay with me. Jump ahead, if you will, to verse 8, the end of verse 8. My righteousness will be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. And one more, verse 11 so the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy. God's trying to get a point across here. His point is, salvation is forever, joy is everlasting. Now, before you think we're getting into once saved, always saved versus losing your salvation, we're not getting into that. What God is trying to make the point here in Isaiah 51, this is not a concept of once saved, always saved versus losing your salvation. The concept is salvation, the idea of heaven, is forever. Now, when you stop and you think about eternity, our minds can't grasp that. I mean, we, we just can't grasp it. You know, we think about the earth. Earth was created 6,000 years ago. Wow, 6,000 years ago. That's nothing. You know, we get worked up about, oh, I've got to work the next seven days in a row. Seven days? Compared to eternity? Oh, see, that's the whole point that God is trying to say here. That's why he's using words like everlasting and forever, etc. He's trying to ingrain into your head that when you die and you go to heaven, that salvation is forever. And when you have that concept, once again, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. It just doesn't matter. You know, there's a lot of big things coming up, right? Some of you may have a big day tomorrow at work. You may be stressed out about that. You know, Jesus could return before that day. You don't even have to worry about it. You may have a big medical thing coming up in a month or whatever. Jesus could return before that. See, when you have this eternal perspective, what, what difference does it make? Does that mean you just sit at home and twiddle your thumbs and do nothing? Of course not. There's practicality here. But at the same point, too, those things we get worked up, sometimes God says in the whole scheme of eternity, does it matter? That last fight you had with your spouse, did it really matter? That last argument with the kids, did it really matter? That last argument with the co-worker, did it matter? In the whole scheme of eternity, those things don't matter. This is what God is trying to tell us here in Isaiah 
51. Why? Look here once again at verse 6. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish away like smoke and the earth will grow old like a garment and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. That's a depressing verse, but it's a true verse. There's things on this earth that you're so worked up about. God says, you know what? The earth is going to be destroyed. It doesn't matter. You know, those people that we're all worried about, what is he doing, what is she doing? They're all going to die. Now, this isn't a depressing thought because the next part of verse 6 is, my salvation will be forever. The point that God is trying to make here is a comparison. You can focus on the earth that has a limited time frame, a limited time span, and will be destroyed, or you can focus on salvation that's going to last you forever. Now, there's really not a comparison here. There's not a comparison in any way whatsoever. But yet, from our very finite minds, it sounds like it's a long, long time. And that's the thing is, we start looking at stuff and we look at this earth and we start thinking, oh, this is everything. No, God says this is not everything. Salvation is everything. And he continues this point. Verse 8, For the moth will eat them up like a garment and the worm will eat them like wool. See, who is he talking about? Verse 7, do not fear the reproach of men nor be afraid of their insults. Have you got worked up about what somebody said or did here recently? Verse 8, they're going to be eaten up. It's kind of a graphic thought, but it's the truth. But what's the end of verse 8 again? My righteousness will be forever. See, the world that you get nervous about, it's going to be destroyed. Those people that you get worked up about, they're going to die. But salvation lasts forever. That's what Isaiah, through the Spirit, is trying to tell us here. Turning forward to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. As you're turning there, you may have any quick questions, comments about anything we've gone over here thus far. Second Peter 3. This verse just kind of reiterates what we're talking about here, about the temporariness of what you're going through. Second Peter 3. I'm actually going to read this passage out of the New Living Translation. I think it does a nice job here. Second Peter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Now, let's look at that verse one more time. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? See, what Peter's trying to tell you is, it's all going to burn, so why are we focusing on it? Let's focus on heaven. Let's focus on salvation. Let's focus on eternity. Verse 12, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along, on that day he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. Verse 13, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised us, a world filled with God's righteousness. Verse 14, and so dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. See, when you look at it from that perspective, you start realizing, okay, the things of this world don't matter. So am I living that pure life? Am I living that peaceful life? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing with it? Because that is what's going to get me through it. So when you have this perspective that everything is going to burn, if you will, salvation is the only thing that lasts forever, what are we supposed to do with this information? Verse 9, 
Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days from the generations of old. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, that made the depths of the sea a rod, or excuse me, a road for the Redeemer to cross over? So the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I love the end of that verse. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Boy, haven't you been hurt? Haven't you been harmed by somebody, by an action, or physically or spiritually? Isn't it nice to know that sorrow and sighing shall flee away? It's all going to disappear. That's heaven. See, that thing that right now you think you can never work past or work through, it will mean nothing in eternity. That hurt that you never thought you could let go of, or maybe that hurt that you did, you can never let go of. That will all disappear, and instead you'll have at the end of verse 11, joy and gladness, and not just joy and gladness, look at verse 11, everlasting joy. Oh, now that one I like. What do we have to do? Go back to verse 9. Wake up. Some of us are spiritually asleep. And we lose this focus. We get into this little spiritual rut. We do the church thing on Sunday. Maybe even serve someplace. It's just what you do. You do the church thing Wednesday. And we get into this spiritual rut. Maybe you, you, know, you read every day. You pray every day. And that's all great. But you're just kind of going through the motions. God says, wake up here. Wake up. Have you ever been doing that? Maybe you're driving to work and you do the same route every time. All of a sudden you look up and you're like, okay, I kind of forget the last three miles. I'm sure I passed it. Same thing happens spiritually. You're so used to serving. You just do it. That's one of the things that they really ingrained uh, when I was down there talking to some of those people in that church in Indianapolis. One of the things they said is, every Sunday and every Wednesday is important. Because it's easy. It's easy just to say, okay, let's just get through this. No, we don't want to get through anything. Let's wake up. Let's, let's do this. You know, because tomorrow, I bet you some of you are thinking, okay, I just got to get through tomorrow, got to get through Friday, and I got a couple days off. Okay, but you don't want to get through a day where you're just saying, okay, I'm going on cruise control because you never know when the Lord's going to say, no, stop. I want you to talk to that person. Stop. I want you to share with that person. Stop. I want you to go witness that person. I tell you, uh, last December there was a bad snowstorm and I was driving home and it was one of those bad ones and it was getting worse and I was almost home and as I was driving by I saw this guy that uh, used to come out here to church and um, bad back, bad health, and he's out there shoveling snow. And I saw him, and, and I felt the Lord touch on my heart. Stop. And I thought, no, nah, i got to get home. Roads are bad. Roads are bad. i got to get home to dawn, got to get home to kids, you know, got to get home type thing. And I felt the Lord said, no, you need to go back and stop. And you have that moment of, well, can't somebody else stop? I mean, there's other people that see this guy. The Lord says, no, I want you to stop. So went back, had a chance to stop, talk to him, and the details are important. It was a nice time to minister. But the point is, you get so focused, and I know I do the same thing on me. My day, my schedule, my life. What God is trying to say here in verse 9 is, wake up. It ain't your life. I will tell you when you should do something. And I remember I had a pastor that kept ingraining that as pastors I get up and I got on my little schedule right here and I got a sticky note of everybody I need to contact this week who I need to email right. That in my great wisdom has decided what I needed to do this week. And I remember this pastor saying, when you get up you need to ask God, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to minister to? 
Sometimes we need to wake up and say, it's not us, it's him. Why? Because look at verse 10 and 11 one more time. If he's made the oceans and he's dried the oceans, don't you think he's big enough to take care of everything that we're doing here? I mean, that's pretty impressive. And if he's going to, as we just read in Peter, take these elements of heaven and earth and melt them down to the elements, that's pretty impressive. He's God. And so when you have this type of perspective, you realize what it all comes down to. And doesn't verse 12 sum this up? I, even I, am he who comforts you. He's the one that comforts. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die? And the son of man who will be made like grass. Doesn't that verse just make sense when you read it? You're right, Lord. I am worked up about my boss that may chew me out tomorrow. Nah. I'm worked up about that situation at work. I'm worked up about that test. I'm worked up about that. Nah, in the whole scheme of things, that's nothing. Verse 13, you forget the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens, who laid the foundations of the earth, and have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor who is prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? I mean, seriously, what can anybody do? That's God. If you stop and you look at this, and you know I love astronomy, when you stop and you look out at the heavens and you realize the vast expanse of space, that God did that. It's pretty impressive. When you look at the earth, God did that. That's pretty impressive. And you see this theme repeated again and again. Look at the end of verse 17 again. Awake, awake, wake up. That's what he's trying to tell us to do here is wake up because there's a bigger thing going on than just what we have in our little world here. Anybody have any quick questions, comments about this before we get ready to close up? Yeah, surely. That, that is a great point. What Shirley was just saying there is God is in us. And if you stop and you really think about that, I, I've always said that is something that's very comforting and very convicting at the same time. Whatever storm I'm facing in life, isn't it a comfort to know God is right there? But every time I do something stupid, how convicting is to know that God is right there? But you know that idea of God in us that Shirley was saying there, if you go back to the Old Testament and you go back to the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, one day out of the year, and you've heard us say this a lot out here, one day out of the year, one person got to go into the Holy of Holies and have access with God. One day, one person, representing the entire nation of Israel, had access to God. We have access to God every day of the week, every moment of the day, because he lives in us. That's why the book of Hebrews says we can boldly go to the throne of grace. I mean, imagine being a little kid dealing with the fears of the dark and the fears of this or that. I've shared with you before, Judah's our little scaredy cat of flies and whatever. Imagine that one day out of the year, maybe Judah of the four boys would be the one to go talk to Dad. How silly is that? Judah can run up to me anytime he wants and say, I need to talk to you or I'm scared or something like that. Anytime he has complete access to Dad whenever he wants it. 
So that's the way it's supposed to be with God the Father. Whatever you're facing, you have complete access to God the Father. You don't have to wait one day a year and take some ram in and blood and sprinkle it. And No, every day you have God living inside of you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Beautiful thing, beautiful thing. Anybody else have any uh, final questions, comments here before we close up? Okay. Well, I heard Rich got you out late last week, and somebody had to flag him down to finish you up. So I will make up for Richard's shortcomings, and I will let you get out early. So we will uh, continue on in Isaiah next week, but we'll just have a word of prayer here. Uh, Lord, as we come to you now, Lord, help us to wake up and uh, really realize in the whole scheme of eternity it's you. It's not the successes we have. It's not the failures we have. It's, it's you. And all of eternity, it's you. Lord, help us. You live inside of us. So, Lord, help that be a comforting thought in times of distress. But, Lord, also when we're straying and going off the path, help that to be a convicting idea to remind us purity, righteousness in all we do and say. Thank you for your everlasting salvation. Thank you for your everlasting joy. And, Lord, help us to live for you in all that we do and all that we say. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.